Welcome, welcome, welcome to Building the Black Educator Pipeline podcast. I am your host, Shana Terrell, educator, activist, dedicated to the lifelong struggle of freedom and liberation for my people. Major shout out to all our co-conspirators out there joining and listening today because you have come to the place where we talk to real people in the real struggle doing the real work. People, as we embark on our 13th Black Male Educator Convening and our fifth national installment, we invite two longtime supporters and participants to join us today. We have Winston Cox. He is chair of the board with me at the Center for Black Educator Development. And we are also joined by Dr. William Hayes, CEO of Boys Latin Charter School. Thank you, guys. By the time this episode drops, we will be at opening day of the convening. So excited to have you two on. Welcome, 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 y'all. Hmm. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Shana. Thank you yes. very much. I'm excited to have you two brothers on. I'm very pivotal um, in what we got going on. So before we start, you know, I'd like to give my little guest a little intro um, to who we will be speaking to. So, uh, Mr. Cox, I'll let you go first. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, what should we know about Winston Cox? Who are you? Absolutely. Um, above all else, I am Trudy and Winston's son. And I'll get into why that's meaningful. But I'm also Lena's husband, Jada and Solomon's dad. I'm Sean, Fanchon, and Darren's big brother. And all of that is first and foremost. I'm a family man. And um, my practice has always been about our beloved community and family. Um, I am so honored to be the chairman of the board for uh, Center for Black Educator Development. It is a a dream of mine that I've been working on for quite a while. Um, I, I can remember envisioning an opportunity like this many, many years ago. And um, I, I've, I've been thinking about how we bring black men into this craft for a very long time. So this is beyond this is vision, passion, mission, life uh, affirming work that I get to do. Um, and uh, of course, um, prior to that, most recently, I was also the national director of implementation for turnaround arts at the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts. And uh, the Turnaround Arts Program leverages the arts uh, for school transformation, student engagement, uh, parent and community involvement. And it was founded during the President uh, Obama's administration and chaired by First Lady Michelle Obama. And I had the wonderful opportunity through that program to get to know intimately uh, 15 school districts across the country and to work with thousands and thousands of teachers and students. Uh, which is which again was uh, was an opportunity that I very much sought after. Prior to the Turnaround Arts Program, I was a uh, teacher and a principal at the elementary, middle, and high school levels uh, in Washington D.C. and in Boston, Massachusetts, where I got to meet Will many many years ago. Um, and um, you know that journey. From uh, the, I, I look forward to sort of unpacking a little bit of that journey from uh, a substitute teacher in the early '90s and a teaching intern in the early '90s on to what I've been able to uh, do in my career. And then I, the last thing I want to share is that uh, my my beloved wife Lena is also an educator. She's a middle school uh, uh, principal uh, in the midst of a transformation as well, and we 
Lena and I have recently uh, launched our own uh, leadership development uh, firm and consultancy, uh, Cox Leads LLC, excuse me, LLC. And we're really looking at uh, trying to impart the tremendous learning and wisdom that we've gained over our combined 50 years of experience in the field of education uh, as Black leaders, very conscientious about our role as Black leaders in our community. So, and I will say finally, you know, Cox leads the, we're, we're uh, you know, Sharif talks a lot about uh, going beyond breaking the school to prison pipeline and building a school to activism uh, pipeline. Mm-hmm. And Lena and I are very uh, serious about that, that, uh, that students need to be learning in the context of our legacy of, of activism. We're really, we're just extremely uh, focused on imparting what we've been blessed with by our mentors, which has always been the, the work embedded in activism and experience and really the capacity that our young people have to engage with curriculum and content at a very, very high level. And so um, uh, we're, we're all about that work. I love that. So like a power couple, <laughs> number one, <laughs> going on uh, between you and your wife yeah. and then integrating that family um, yeah. with the business Thank and you. also with your passion. Um, Thank you. That's going to do nothing but propel you. Mm, thank you. So thank you. Dope. Yeah. Dope. I appreciate that. Mr. Hayes, Dr. Hayes, tell the people a little bit about who you are. What should we know about Dr. Hayes? Well, if you go back to the previous episode, you can just review my bio. <laughs> I, I love coming to the podcast. Uh, I am William Hayes. I am the chief executive officer of Boys Latin of Philadelphia and All Mill charter school network of two schools, a middle school and a high school educating young boys in West Philadelphia. I am originally from South Carolina, so I am a country boy at heart. I love to say I'm a country boy with a northern edge. Um, And so I think that what's important to note, so I've worked in a variety of places, uh, attended schools in a variety of places. So I started teaching and leading in Boston public schools where um, I I don't know if I was introduced to uh, Winston as early as I was told, you remind me of Winston. Mm. So mm. I heard that first before I ever met him mm. uh, and then went on to lead pre-K to elementary, uh, excuse me, pre-K to eighth grade uh, turnaround school in Cleveland public schools and then started a charter middle and high school in Camden, New Jersey, and then joined uh, Boys Latin as the chief executive officer in um, 2021. So that was your life in a nutshell. I like how you summed that up real quick. Yeah, just a real quick summary. <laughs> very modest. Very modest. <laughs> right? Yeah. We want the gems is going to come out mm-hmm. a little later on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so one thing, right, that I have before me, two beautiful black men, right, mm-hmm. who are in education, which, again, many years later, people will still say, like, you guys are unicorns, right? Like, how are you here? Why are you here? Not only are you guys here, you're, like, moved up through the ranks. Both of you are in leadership, um, leading organizations that are bringing more Black males in, that are really focused on education and changing the trajectory of our communities. How did you both get inspired to be educators? Like, What made you want to be in education specifically? Um, Winston, I'll start with you again. Sure. Um, Shana, I, I was blessed to have two educator parents um, as a as a young man, um, as a boy growing up. My, my father, a doctor of political science who taught at one point at Howard, and my mother, a women's health 
practitioner and nurse midwife who really uh, over the years um, um, brought thousands of people into the world and um, and was really an educator and definitely the best teacher uh, that I've that I've ever experienced. Just would never answer a question, would always, you know, pro- uh, provoke you into discovering uh, for yourself. Um, and, uh, you know, they really, yeah, they really piqued my curiosity. They both took me on learning adventures at a very young age. So my father actually brought me to Kenya and Tanzania as a boy uh, during his doctoral studies um, around uh, uh, the Mau Mau and, and, um, and other sort of uh, forms of Black community. Uh, he was researching alternatives to, uh, to sort of uh, the more traditional sort of ca- capitalist conventional way and um, so he took me along. Mom took me along to protests in uh, uh, protesting the Vietnam War. Um, our homes were always a place of learning. Uh, you know, there was they exposed me at a super young age to the ideas of, you know, Paulo Freire, Audre Lorde, Bell Hooks, um, James Baldwin, Malcolm X. Uh, so I always again, uh, similar to what I said earlier, I always, my learning experience and what they impressed upon me was always in the context of activism. How will your reading, writing, math, arithmetic, science contribute to our people's uh, liberation? Uh, you know, it, it, that application was just built in uh, to everything. Unfortunately, my parents' marriage uh, did not uh, survive, um, and we had a really tumultuous uh, period in our family, a lot of dislocation and disruption. And it was actually when we landed in Cambridge, Massachusetts, of all places in the late 70s, um, uh, that I discovered this handf- handful of Black teachers that transformed my life. Um, as a matter of fact, I called my fifth grade teacher yesterday, uh, Lynn Godfrey Phillips. At that, Lynn Godfrey now, it, she was Lynn Godfrey Phillips, just told her how much she meant to me. Um, and, uh, Bob Moses, the legendary Bob Moses freedom writer organizer, organizer was my middle school algebra teacher and, uh, you know, um, dear, you know, dear family friend. And then, uh, uh, Donald Burroughs, who was my, um, high school, uh, English professor. Um, these teachers, uh, came into my life at a time that I really needed them and were a vision of what I would want to become later in Mm. my life as an educator. I love that. So inspired by other Black educators. Absolutely. Absolutely. They were what you wanted to be. Yes. Yes. Dr. Hayes, what inspired you? Oh, that's just so beautiful. Like, Jesus, I listened to this. I was, I'm like, I missed out on so many years of just, you know, development. Um, so what is interesting is um, growing up, my mother was a Head Start director. My Her sister was a fourth grade teacher. My aunt was a biology teacher in New York. My grandmother uh, was a seventh grade math teacher. Uh, and I had no desire to ever be a teacher. I mean, it, was mm. just, it was just not a thing. Um, <laughs> and in many cases, as the eldest child, I was always in a teacher role. And as, even amongst my friend group, I was always kind of leading and supporting uh, my friend group. And even when I got to college, education was not a thing, but I was always in this mentoring role of just supporting other young men. So I went to Morehouse College. And so 
I was doing the work that very much parallels the work that I would one day do in schools of just kind of supporting, talking through kind of what the goals are, the future plans. Um, I was calling parents for my residents, you know, like, mom, don't take them home just yet. We're going to make sure you have a study plan. So doing all those things and kind of, I think, practicing education and practicing teaching without ever realizing like it was my actual calling um, and that it would one day be the path that I um, get to work and enjoy my passion each and every day. And so I got to Boston with the intent of getting a master's in counseling. And so I was going to go be a PhD um, child psychologist and ended up working at a high school during my first year. And I should have known it was downhill uh, when the professor emailed me and said, you need to stop spending so much time at your practicum site. You need to be in class. I was skipping class to go work at the school. Um, <laughs> and so my my primary work was really working with 21 uh, young Black and Latino men who had failed the ninth grade and really working through ensuring that they were successful, uh, meeting with parents. Um, again, this is me, 21 years old, 22 years old, just working with kids who were 17, 18. I don't think I ever told them my age at that point. Uh, but in that work, um, in my coursework, I was designing interventions and strategies for how to improve the outcomes of uh, students of color in low-income urban areas. And in that, uh, my idea was a senior capstone course that really kind of closed the loop on their learning and allowed them to transition into post-secondary plans they and their families could agree would be successful for them. Uh, The principal at the time, uh, Naya Wilson, shout out to her, uh, a colleague a colleague of Winston at the time who is the person that said, you remind me of Winston so much. She said, well, I read your paper. I want you to come teach the course next year. Uh, so I actually dropped out of my program. Uh, that was a two-year program. I took the one-year master's and started teaching um, the following year at New Mission High School uh, and enrolled in a certification program at Northeastern University. Listen, because the calling was the calling, okay? The calling was the calling. The good thing about your stories, I, I love for people to hear it, is that you ran from it. But you connected with it because there are so many other things connected to teaching that has a lot more to do with than just teaching or lesson planning. You really wanted to impact. You really wanted to connect. Um, you really wanted to mentor. So even like, I'm going to get my counseling degree. You're going to be counseling, brother, when you teach it. <laughs> You're going to be counseling, feeding, all that, right? Like that goes into teaching. Um, but the level of impact that you get to have on a daily basis working with children, a group of children is super impactful. Cause I'm just thinking about if Dr. Hayes was a child psychologist, mm. um, the impact that you may have had on a couple of kids throughout the years and changed the trajectory of a couple of lives, but what we would be missing out on with how you're impacting generations and generations and generations of children, that'd have been such a miss. So I'm really glad <laughs> that you switched gears on that and decided to, to get an education. I love that narrative too. And, and I think it's very common in our field. And I, and I really think there's something powerful about folks who maybe didn't classically sort of see themselves in, in that role and sort of find their way to it. There's, I, and I love hearing those stories, I, you know, that you hear that very common, uh, commonly. So. Yes. Oh, his story is common. You know how many people come on here and talk about how they ran, like they literally right. ran the other way yes. <laughs> from teaching. Um, but the calling is a calling. It, it finds you and then you find it. Right. So che- teaching didn't you didn't choose teaching. Teaching chose you. So and then somebody might just have to say, I need you to do this. I, I want you yeah. to do this. And, that, and that's the way you get into it. Right. That I'm not sure I ever would have sought it out um, mm. had 
the principal at the time not said, I want you to do this thing. Um, mm. And so I think she showed me a path forward that I didn't see for myself in that way. I love that too. And that is, it does happen a lot. A lot of, a lot of times mm-hmm. we had these conversations about black men in education. You guys know Sharif always shares a story about how he was going to be a lawyer mm-hmm. and the neighbor, um, you know, a good friend of his mother's like, no, you need to go down there and teach. Yeah. And I want you to go to this meeting. He went, I ain't going to this meeting. Right. But the elder asked him, he went and boom, yes. <laughs> changed the trajectory. So you're absolutely right. When you see something in young people that they don't see in themselves, uh, push them, right. push them forward to that. I remember on one of your shows, Shana, Dr. Emden said, you know, when the teacher, when the student is ready, the teacher, something along those lines, the teacher will manifest or will show up. Right. And so, yeah, that like that's uh, that that I love that story. I love that narrative. (laughs) Dope narrative. Yeah. Fellas, coming up, the convening is here. It is going down. It is happening. Yes. So what number convening is this uh, for you guys? Because, I mean, it's been going on for so long in so many different spaces. Uh, but for each of you, what, what number convening is this? Hey, so what's up? So this is number 12 for me wow. because I missed the virtual one last year. <laughs> ah, so you have been with us since the convening, since the jump. Since Sharif said we need to do a convening in three weeks, can y'all find a spot to do it? Um, <laughs> see if we can get some catering. Don't need it. It's nice to know that his little mindset still has not changed. Okay. Not so changed <laughs> he, he dreams the dream. He believes yes. the impossible and we make it happen. Mm-hmm. So shout out. Mm-hmm. So three weeks. And he said, find a spot, find some catering and let's go. So that was the first convening. Oh, yes. How oh, many yes. men would you say was at that convening? We thought it would be about 30 to 40. Mm. It turned out to be above 100. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was, I, I remember that. And it was a great experience. Honestly, it was one of the best experiences I think I've had in terms of both the organic development of something mm. and just mm. the the response of the the men who were able to be there. And so I think for me, um, I love what the convening is now. And I appreciate what it was uh, when it started, just from the organic development of just Black men coming around the circle and say, we need to do this with other Black men in the city. Mm. Mm. Yes. Winston, what number is this for you? You know, surprisingly, I think technically this is only my second in-person uh, attendance. I've been working behind the scenes with uh, with Sharif and others and shouts to uh, Heather Harding and uh, Joshua Edelman as well and the the, uh, the rest of our amazing board. So I, I've actually been doing uh, more work behind the scenes and um, Will and Sharif and I and many others have, have uh, spent quite a bit of time together in other convenings that were um, likewise, you know, committed to the pipeline, black teacher pipeline and elevating black men in the field. But yeah, I think, uh, I think that this is actually my second, uh, in, in person, um, life, life happened for me and, and made, um, made attendance, physical attendance, um, impossible in other times. So I am beyond, like, I'm out of my mind excited for next week. Um, uh, you know, Good. I just, um, I'm in a I think I was telling you earlier. I'm I'm in a place where I'm owning my elderhood which like I'm owning <laughs> my capital E elderhood. I'm, yes. I'm and I know Will's giving me that look but but I'm 54 years old. I'm mm. 54 
And um, I'm at the beginning of what I think, you know, I technically I consider elderhood. Um, and I was just thinking, like, I know enough to know how little I know. But I but what I do know, I know very well. And I and I want uh, I want to see black men thrive in this work. And so I cannot wait to be amongst that collected collection of uh, not only black men, but the people who love and support black men in, in this work. For sure. Yeah. So look at that. We got like a lifer here, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> a lifer, right? A yeah. doc convening goer. It's the, young have... one. it's the young one. That's the lifer, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, again, well, you've been there for the start. Uh, Sharif, a lot of times called you one of the founding members of the Black Bone Educator Convening um, Conference here in, in Philadelphia. And it's proud to. Um, because you had a heavy hand in laying a lot of the brick in the foundation and set up for what this has grown into be. So when you walk into the convening, I hope that you are extremely proud, proud to see like when you actually plant a seed and then you watch it grow, right? Like this is something that is 13 years in the making. So just super awesome. What's going to be even more proud, I am bringing 32 black male educators oh, with wow. me from my school. And so see this thing that we laid the groundwork for um, 13 convenings ago and for me to bring uh, my black male educators here who are coming, many of which for the first time, um, to see that number is going to be great. And so I'm looking forward to it. And, and, And the brother just, you know, this he's been doing this for years, right? Successive generations, like you said before. It's it's amazing to understand what what Dr. Hayes has contributed uh, to this work. Like, I, brother, I, I really salute you. Thank you for that. Thank you for your mentorship and for your leadership. Yes. Still trying to be like Winston Cox. Still <laughs> trying to be like Winston Cox. Listen, y'all out here planting these seeds and watching them grow. Mm. Like, because again, those 30 men that you bring with you, the impact that that's going to have on them, Absolutely. the leadership and example that that thing shows that they go back and pay that forward to somebody else. I mean, it's such a huge deal, such a large reach, such an impact. Um, but I'm excited. Um, so like for me, right, when I, I'm looking forward to the convening and I'm like, I'm just literally right. And not for the reasons people would think. But I'm looking forward to just seeing a bunch of educated black men just all mm-hmm. in one mm-hmm. space. And don't knock and say like, ooh, girl, because they gonna be fine. No, not. <laughs> not not because of that. Right. Because there are so many spaces and so many gatherings that we we have where there's a negative light shine mm. on black men. Mm-hmm. Um, so to have, I mean, we're gonna have successful, educated, inspired, intelligent. Black men. I mean, I'm just super excited about that with their intelligence, their impact, their expertise and curriculum and instruction all on display. Mm. And I am here for it. Mm. So for me, I'm just super excited to be able to have black men have this space and have this time and have light be shined upon y'all. Like, I'm excited. Thank you. you. I am. I really am. There's so many things that like painting black men in negative light um, or so many things that get overlooked about black men. So to think that we are having, yes, we're having a conference where black men are gathering. Um, they're going to be talking about a number of things, but this will probably be like the largest single gathering of black men talking about their intellect, their intelligence. And like I said, curriculum and instruction. And I'll continue to say that again, because in education that is overlooked as a quality for black men. 
how y'all think they got an education? Just like they went to school, they went to college. How do you think they became teachers? You don't think they know curriculum? You don't need think you don't think they know instruction? So to see that all on display, highlighted, marketed, celebrated, people going into workshops and coming to panels to see you guys, to hear you guys, I mean, when I tell you I'm elated and excited and I'm looking forward to it, I really am so much. I would love to hear from you guys as brothers, though, as black men going to this place. What are y'all looking forward to? Winston, this being your second and will the same, lifetime membership, brother. Um, what what are you guys looking for? Wow. I mean, first of all, exactly what you named Shana. Um, you know, to use a worn out uh, metaphor, this is a booster shot, you know, uh, you know, and and. Uh, an inoculation in some ways against systemic racism and what we what is what we confront as black men. I I, I am uh, so intent and focused on it being what you just named a loving community, uh, um, uh, an energized community. Um, and what I love about us when we get together is is I'm going to use the word diversity, overused word diversity, but that's what that's what folks don't understand about us is that our power as black men is our diversity, yes. our diverse nationalities, our diverse political affiliations, our diverse thoughts, um, our diverse experiences. And this is, um, you know, yes, this is a unique gathering. And it's even more so because Brother Sharif and others made the call. And that invitation, uh, our invitation is about uh, the, the wholeness of what Blackness and Black malehood uh, can, can look like. So I, I'm very much uh, uh, looking forward to that. When I look at some of these um, uh, sessions, m- my goodness, um, I, I wrote some of them down here and, um, uh, you know, the there's a piece uh, around sustainable side hustle, uh, black feminist perspectives on professional development, children of incarceration. You know, I w- I'm going to want to be at every one of these sessions to take in, uh, you know, what the what the uh, presenters have to offer. For sure. Mm. Hayes, what are you looking for forward to? Honestly, for me, it feels like the Black Male Educator Homecoming. Like, I am just... <laughs> I love that. I'm to see all the brothers that um, I know and don't know, brothers like Winston, I haven't seen in person in quite some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, haven't gone to Morehouse, and uh, Winston's wife, Lena, is my good Spellman sister. Uh, there was something just, like, magical about the homecoming experience, right? When you return... Mm-hmm. Uh, to be amongst people who just get it, right? Mm-hmm. Who have a similar experience um, that you don't have to articulate and specify, but you just get it when you walk up. So I'm, I'm looking forward to walking into the hotel and saying, "I see you." Come <laughs> <through>. <laughs> I, I, I want all of the antics. Mm-hmm. I want black men to keep saying things like, "I'm trying to get like you, King. I'm mm-hmm. trying to get like mm-hmm. you." Like that. That is. That is what I'm looking for, the dap, the bro hug. I, I want all of that um, because I think there is something rejuvenating and energizing about that yeah. experience that not only reminds you why, uh, but gives you encouragement to continue to exercise that why uh, once you leave the convenience. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, so I'm going to run up and sneak in my hugs and then I'm going to get on <laughs> out the way so that these brothers <laughs> can love up on each other, okay? Definitely. 
So what's unique here um, and why I wanted to have you two on the show is because um, you guys are connected um, Mm -hmm. in many ways. And from what I'm understanding is that, Winston, you were somewhat of a mentor to Dr. Hayes in his early years. So I would love for you guys to share. um, How did you connect? How did you meet? Um, And how does relationship of mentor-mentee form between both of you? I mean, first of all, um, you know, Will is being very kind. Like any good mentor-mentee relationship, um, it goes both ways. And um, I have uh, so admired him. And he he was always a reflection of me. Like, I'd never heard that Naya Wilson had said that, but that makes total sense to me. Because he he was, when I saw him and I encountered the way that he approached his practice, it was so affirming, and it was a, it was a, it was telling me that I'm not crazy. That the things that I believe in, my very high expectations for young people and what they're capable of doing, you know, that that we can do that. And of course, so Will uh, has always represented that. Um, we, you know, we did not get thrust into each other's lives in a more uh, continual time until. Uh, you know, more recently and and largely through folks like Sharif and, Co- and a, a dear friend of ours, Corey Shows, who I want to um, shout out as well, who, um, con- you know, called uh, convenings and times. But we every time we are together, I think we we um, um, realize the, the, the depth of our connection and the things that we care about. I, I do remember in those early years, Will and I shared um, the fact that we worked in schools. He mentioned New Mission. I was at uh, the Harbor Pilot Middle. So these schools were sort of uh, special and unique in that they had certain autonomies that a lot of schools don't necessarily enjoy around budget, schedule, curriculum, governance, and staffing. And so I think what really, when I think about Will, again, uh, 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 um, I think about someone who I don't have to translate a lot of things to because he came up through a system that was very similar to the system and to the, the pedagogy and practices that I came up through. So this idea that, that a, um, that a, a group of um, committed and loving educators could determine a pathway for students um, and and create along the way. This was something that he and I both got to experience in these school settings. And so, um, you know, I just think about I think about that beloved community. I think about Boston, surprisingly, as as much of a heart, as much of a legitimate knock as Boston gets there are these really strong teacher education programs that attract folks and then they do the types of things that William did, which was to sort of go take it on a tangent in a direction that, that they felt drawn towards. So those are the, those are some of the things that I think about. And then, and then as William said, just being at uh, in learning space together and co- sort of uh, commiserating and uh, caring for one another in this work. Really important. Um, I would add, I think that, uh, you know, I'll give my brother his flowers. I have always just been a fan of Winston, right? I, oh, wow. I think really? in, in particular education, we don't get to have like the, the groupie conversation, the fanatic, like mm. we don't get to say like that educator right there, like yeah. that's the guy, right? Mm. And so I think before I ever met Winston, um, 
I was already, I had ideas around what I thought education could be. And in many cases, what I think Naya, the, my principal at the time, saw was my frustration in that, right? And my um, inability to reconcile what I was seeing with what I wanted to see and to figure out what was my um, position and power to do something about that. And so in some regard, I think she might have said I reminded her of Winston because I was getting on her nerves. Like, I was like... <laughs> <laughs> I was rebelling. I was in there like, like tear it, tear it down, take it away. I don't understand why we got to do this. It doesn't make sense. Um, and so I think in that she saw the passion, right? She saw this commitment to transformative education. Mm. Uh, and what she pointed me to was an individual who could take all of those things um, and do the work, right? And sustain himself in that work. I think when I reflect on, what I used to hear about Winston before I ever met him was that they couldn't help but respect his agitation, right? Mm, thank you. Winston was a frustrating uh, leader who always poked at the inequities of the system, but you could never question his integrity, right? You you mm. had to respect what he was saying. Mm. And so I wanted to be that, right? I wanted mm. to be the rebel with a, with a cause, right? I wanted to be mm. respected um, for my challenges of the system. And so in building that... Um, Winston has been someone that I, I watched, right? I watched how he navigated um, his passion and the politics of education in a very nuanced way. And so I actually think that mm. the kind of personal connection may have actually come through his wife. So uh, his wife, Lena, when we found out we were Morehouse brothers and uh, Spelman sister, it was like, bro, bro. And I'm like, you're married to Winston? I'm like, oh my God, like that's, that's my guy. I think we had a chance to like get dinner and I met your kids and your family. And so from there... Mm. The nature of the mentorship, and I think it really pushes on this idea that mentorship has to be um, formalized. It has mm. to be like assigned. It has to be like a weekly check-in. Winston has served the purpose of a person I could always call just about the random thing that he would pick up, right? The quick text message that has all my issues and then says, oh, yeah, good, <laughs> oh, yeah, good morning, right? My bad. <laughs> Let me be respectful of that. And so yeah. I think um, I have appreciated the casual nature of mm, this mentor-mentee uh, dynamic in a way that we both have access uh, to each other in a way that if he needs me for anything, I'm there. And if I need him for anything, he's there. Which is so, like, so powerful. Because, like, as Will was speaking, I couldn't help but think about that relationship that I have had with my mentors, right? And so so that's a tradition. It's a, it's, it's a tradition. And... Um, I don't. I, th I think to Will's point, we undervalue that um, that less formal uh, piece. Uh, there is something just so. Again, he is he is a reflection of my values, and um, and knowing that Will's out there doing what he's doing uh, every day. I haven't been in a school setting for a few years now, and so just the idea that somebody who I love and care about, and it, and I know cares about these young people is there. So like that touch point is, is incredibly important. And yes, Donald Burroughs did that for me. Bob Moses did that for me. Uh, Lynn Godfrey Phillips did that for me as well. So it's a, it's just passing that along. Um, you, you laid some heavy names out there. You had some impactful <laughs> dynamic mentors. It was a Bob Moses child. You had some dynamic, impactful mentors. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, sure. and, and, and interestingly, again, you know, what's so fascinating about Bob was that he, you know, this was someone I had access to all the time. And 
I don't I know I wasn't ready for for it. I didn't I didn't even really understand what was going on. I just I could feel I I understood his energy and I knew I knew about his um life as a as a civil rights icon. And honestly, we didn't really necessarily connect through the math content. He was he was kind of using us as guinea pigs in developing this uh, the algebra project, uh, you know, an amazing uh program. Um and so, but it was just the idea that of what this man had already accomplished in his journey and that he was now um, uh, determined to see something happen for us in, the, in public education. So that his mere presence, uh, you know, changed everything for me. I would say I think it's very interesting. So I'm kind of on this new wave of thinking about like educational lineage, right? Particularly like mm-hmm. black male educational lineage. And listening to Winston talk about Bob Moses, I wrote a grant last year to talk about uh, implementing early algebra readiness in uh, middle schools, particularly uh, black founding led charter schools in the city of Philadelphia. Yes. And in that grant proposal, I cited Bob Moses and his work. Right. And so just thinking about how all of these things are connected and kind of the multiple levels of connection and influence um, that it just resonates a great deal. Um, For sure. One of the things I want to underscore and highlight that both of you mentioned is the informal mentorship. Mm -hmm. So I when I talk about mentorship or encourage people to find mentors or be mentees, I'm always talking about informal mentorship. Um, but I do think it's important for us to point out to our listeners that sometimes mentorship and coaching is interchangeable in the education world. And I do think that there is a place for formal coaching, right? Mm-hmm. I do think that there is a place where, you know, for your craft, for your development through the career, there's a sense of formal coaching. But the impact of informal coaching when your mentor is like an uncle, is like a brother, is like a best friend. That is what I feel like has a lasting impact mm. on on folks um, mm. in life, period. But for me, when I look at Black men in education, I wonder how some folks survive without having a mentor Indeed. or without having a group of support. Being is that like there are some Black men out there who are the onlys in their schools. There are some Black men that are out there who are the onlys in their district. Um, so if I'm going to have to stay in the fight, I need some type of mentorship. I need some type of connection. Um and I don't have a knock at all, right, on affinity groups. I think that there's a place for that, too. But I think that we do have to support Black men beyond an affinity group, which is when I feel like informal mentorship is what comes into play. Again, you and Winston has de- have developed this, like, what I would like to say will be, unless I might do something crazy, which I won't, lifelong <laughs> back and forth mentorship between one another, but already has had this interconnectedness for years to build. And again, the impact that that has on each of you, what that does for Winston, what that does for you. Um, But encouraging each other to stay in the fight uh, of education is so important. So definitely in this space, when I'm talking about mentorship, I'm referring to that informal mentorship, people willing to be able to talk to somebody beyond an appointment time (laughs) or Zoom chat, Um, or if we linking up for coffee, you not an appointment in my book, right? It doesn't have to feel that way, right? And I get it. We are all busy, right? That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. Busy, right? Winston, you got your businesses going, you're doing your thing. I mean, you're the chair of our board, okay? And <laughs> Dr. Hayes, you are a CEO, right? Mm-hmm. So time is limited to a certain degree, but the love that you have for somebody when you're mentoring them, all that stops, right? Mm-hmm. You know what? I'm going to call you on my way home. 
or let me get myself settled in the house. Um, I'm going to give you a call. Or Dr. Hayes, we know your schedule. You are waking up at five, six in the morning. So let me call you at six. Uh, let, me get up. <laughs> let me call you at six uh, so we can chat. And then the follow-up, right? It's not just the, mm-hmm. oh, I just checked in with you to check in. Well, let me know what you need, okay? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to make sure I get that. So I feel like the impact of, um, you know, informal inter- um, mentorship is what's important and what's needed. Absolutely. Um, but I think one of the things that I faced just as a, a black woman was, I don't. How do I find a mentor? Right? Like, mm-hmm. what, what should I? What should I look for in a mentor? The other thing too that I want brothers out here or our listeners, period, out here to hear about this is sometimes you can't always wait to be chosen, right? I think people think mm-hmm. that when you have a mentor, mm-hmm. somebody has to choose you and say, "Hey, I want to mentor you," kind of like a big brother, big sister program. But what Will is saying is like. You know, I saw something in Winston. When people kept saying that Winston reminds me, I reminded him of Winston. Like, I saw something in Winston. Mm. So you too, like, latched on. Like, hey, brother, let's talk. Let's build. So I would love to hear you guys' perspectives on what people should look for in a mentor. So I, I'll, I'll say, I think, and I may touch on some things that are a little uh, intergenerationally controversial. I'll say no, this. go for it. Ooh, I love so, the controversy. I'm, We're here. I'm, I'm from the I'm from the South, right? Um, and particularly in the South, we believe in the the extended family network, right? And so the importance of parents, grandparents, great grandparents, and in that you do learn some level of intergenerational deference and humility. Yeah. And so yeah. one of the things I think poses some challenge in mentorship is this lack of intergenerational deference, right? That somehow I can't enter into a mentor-mentee relationship that doesn't allow me to be on the same level as the person mm. I want to mentor, right? That for me to gain from you, it requires me to be able to give to you. And, and that doesn't have to be the case. Some mentor relationships are specifically designed for you to pour into me and to me to give that service back to you. Right. So when I approach Winston um, and say, you know, people keep telling me I remind you, I remind them of you. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not for me to try to figure out what can I teach Winston in this moment. Right. It's not for me to try to impart on him what I think he should do better at his school because we have a connection. In that particular moment, I'm coming in a space of humility in which this brother has something that I want to mm-hmm. learn and grow mm-hmm. from. Right. And at some point I will grow tall enough to return to him the service that allows him to rest in the way that he deserves. Right. And so um, mm-hmm. I take pride mm-hmm. when. I can sit back and be just the mentee, right? I don't, I don't need to be the peer. I think about a time when I went to, um, we were at a conference in New Orleans, a group of us, and they were just like, oh, y'all are Sharif's boys. Now, you know, I don't too much care for being called boy, but if you're going to call me, if you're going to call me anybody, like, yeah, Sharif's boy. And a person, like, quickly take that as, like, an offense of, like, being sunned, but mm. there has to be honor in being connected to a mentor, right? And so I think that when I give honor to a mentor and I say, I appreciate the work they've done, right? Whether I agreed with every component, whether I'm going to do it the same way, whether I'm um, walking every step that they've taken, I can give that level of deference. And it's the same way that we in the South, like sit under the feet of our elders and just, you know, chew the fish and spit out the bones, but it it gives you no harm to just listen. And so for me, um, seeking out mentor is mentorship is about who can you humble your spirit to to just listen, right? To just to just listen and take it in. And 
who can you humble yourself enough to sacrifice and go serve their cause? Because yeah. they they deserve that, right? I think about uh, Sharif. Sharif has no problem calling me and saying, hey, I need you to speak tomorrow. I don't know what it's going to be about, but just figure out how to put together a few minutes, right? And I'm willing to do that, right? That is, that is a mentor who I appreciate all that he has poured into me and the spaces I have access to because he created those access points, right? Um, and fortunately, I am in a position where I have the intellect and the skill and the ability to carry my own when I get in that room. But mm-hmm. if he's asking me to go do something, that's the mentor relationship, that, that service component. Um, and so I think when you're looking for the mentorship piece, you should also look at yourself, right? How can I approach this? Who am I ready to receive from? Who can I serve the cause uh, for? Mm. Mm. That was dope. No, I love that. that. I love that, which, you know, I'll go beyond. I, You know, yes, I, I do recognize that as a Southern characteristic and, and one in general that I'm worried. I'm worried about the the it feels like a trend, a change in that, like a, a change in our willingness to humble ourselves and, and extend ourselves. Um, so I could riff on that. But I but I will say one of the what I wanted to add is just that. Also being uh, thinking about different mentors for different purposes. I think I think one of the one of the things that happens because there are so few of us in this field um, is that it ends up, you you know, we feel like we have to get everything from one source. And I think just reminding uh, reminding folks that you might be seeking content expertise. You might be seeking, uh, like Will said, you might recognize a brother or or sister who has navigated systems and structures in a way that you 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 recognize their authentic they still have their authentic voice and their authentic being within within a, a system. Um, somebody who you know maybe um, moves in a way that you aspire to move. So, like I think, really, uh, just um, being. It's, it, I think it's sort of paradoxical to what Will said, like there's the humbling piece and then there's like a, a, a real reality piece, like seek out, seek out folks who for a very specific purpose and and name that and really um, honor that that might be about the extent of what they can they can give in that mo- in that time. And mm-hmm. I, th- I think that that could help, um, you know, that might help. Uh, with folks finding their their mentors. And to that point, thinking about the capacity of the mentor, right? Yes. And so there, there is some level to um, to ensure that you're not disappointing yourself to recognize the capacity, right? So I think about the number of people who arrive to Philadelphia and think Sharif is going to mentor all of them <laughs> an hour a week. And you're disappointed by that, right? right? And I think in some regard, it's particularly for black men, it's a trigger in that it unearths these insecurities Mm -hmm. around um, like abandonment and not feeling connected Mm. and not feeling like your mentor held up their end of the bargain by being what you need them to be. And so even in this seat, right? So I, I struggle with that, right? So I know um, that people come to work at Boys Latin and some of them want to work because they saw my story, they saw my energy and, and the work that I do. And then when I can't be available, um, at every moment in every phone call, they resent that, right? And so you, you you want to develop a mentor relationship and a mentee relationship that has clarity of the capacity so that we don't both begin to resent each other um, when we can't meet those expectations. Absolutely. Yes. And 
I think capacity is a good word, but I also think um, to be human, um, yeah. that people are human. And uh, I laugh because you use Sharif um, as an example. And I always laugh because, I mean, Sharif is definitely a mentor of mine, right? Like um, opportunity, connection, all of that. He's been my brother for a long time. I do laugh at the thought process of what people think that Sharif is willing to accomplish. <laughs> and I'm like, y'all, he a, he a whole regular person uh, running an organization. He has a wife. He has kids. Like, how much do people think that he can overextend? Um, I think it's also important for us to, again, see people for what their strengths are mm-hmm. and not what we imagine they can do for us. Mm-hmm. Because the other thing, yeah. you know, I bust on Sharif all the time, and it probably keeps him humble. Like, he's really great at some things. He's really not great at other things. <laughs> but that <laughs> he is who he is and is successful as he is because he's he focuses on the things that he is good at and that he is great at, and that's where he excels. So for me, I would say when we're looking for mentorship, those things that you saw in that person, make sure that you're focusing on those qualities yes. and not asking them to groom these other things that you want to happen or want to be, because I mean, they're human too. Um, yeah. And they have their limitations as well. So I really, I really enjoy that you guys brought up that point because I think that's real. Um, and the point about insecurity and abandonment come mm-hmm. on will, mm-hmm. because that is where we have to hold up a mirror to ourselves to ask, why do I have this level of frustration when I feel like I'm not getting this from this person or getting a, where's my level of empathy and compassion for what they might like? Why is that a reflection of what that has to do with me? Mm-hmm. Why am I putting that burden? Like he don't want me because I, why, why do, mm-hmm. why are we having those feelings? So mm-hmm. I really appreciate that you brought that up because again, um, in this conversation, I think that's super real um, for people to think about and take a look at. Now the opposite side of that relationship is, the mentor. Um, and I think it would be great to talk through that because for me, there are plenty of young women who have come up to me as like, I want you to be my mentor or I look up to you. That places a great responsibility like on my heart. <laughs> um, yeah. It really does. Um, and the need to not let people down and the need to feel like I need to be there for people as much as I can be. Um, so once and so here's the, the spicy part I guess I want to get into, right? <laughs> For mentors. Just because somebody runs up to you and says, like, I want you to mentor me, it's a major responsibility. So you can't mentor everyone. And there's some people who you just like, nah, like, I don't think I'm the right person to guide you kind of stuff. So I would love for us to talk about, like, how should mentors actually go about choosing and guiding mentees? Because it's a choice. It's absolutely a choice. And it, you know, it, so again, a little paradoxical because you do want that, you do want to recognize when someone has organically come into your, your life, like that happens. And, and that, that if we pay attention, right, if we pay close attention, there's a season for that and that happens. And I think we, those of us who are thrust into or uh, uh, assume the role of mentor, we do have to recognize our, our bandwidth and and what lanes we can best serve. And I think just being really, really um, willing to state up front, sort of like this is this is the access that you can have uh, to me and what I, you know, this is um, making sure that our our vision of how what it looks like is aligned uh, because I I do I'm at the point now you know where you know there are uh, yeah there are folks who I've known for many many years who are frustrated by the lack of of uh, 
access to me. And, um, and we haven't necessarily evolved that relationship. And so um, I do think it's, it's, it's difficult and it's difficult when, when people uh, project that sort of uh, power on you, it's, it's kind of seductive to, 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 uh, to receive, but I mm-hmm. think really, really being honest about what you can, you know, what you can share is, is important. Yeah, I would add, I think there, particularly this conversation of mentorship as it relates to black male educators, I do think there has to be some discussion of the nuanced difference between how we define mentorship of children and how we define mentorship mm. of adults, right? Yes. How we look at mentorship in the way that we as educators mentor children is very active in that, like, I am constantly looking and supporting and finding ways to uh, improve your circumstances and outcomes, right? I'm more of an active participant in leading and guiding and supporting. Yes. From a uh, adult perspective, I do think that the onus shifts more on the mentee to seek the advice, right? Mm-hmm. To seek the support. Um, and I think that points to my own experience when I was seeking mentorship, I was frustrated by the fact that he never called me. He didn't check on mm-hmm. me. But like, why, mm-hmm. why haven't you set up the appointment but he was always there if I did that, right? And so I think as I get into this mentor um, position, one of the things I'm honest and transparent with people about is like, let's clarify what you want from me, right? Do you want advice, right? Do you want this singular piece of information? Do you want a recommendation or do you want like mentorship? Which we can also be clear, I'm not asking you to be my mentor. You are asking me to be your mentor. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is, you are asking me to one, give my opinion about what I see and what I think and for you to respect that for what it is. Right. Um, and take with that information, what you do with it. And I also try to clarify for people, mentorship for me goes beyond my professional identity. And so when you say for me, you want me to be your mentor, you give me space in terms of yeah. giving advice in the ways that you show up professionally in the ways in which your personal identity impacts the ways in yes. which you're professionally. Yep. I've had several teachers who come into the office and um, there's like a general rhythm of you spend more time, you're asking more questions. All of a sudden you realize I'm open to the dialogue. And then you say, oh, you're my mentee. You're, you're going to be my mentor. I say, whoa, because the way I'm going to talk to you as your mentor is going to be very different. <laughs> than CEO. And so when we decide on that relationship, I do like explicitly name for people. Okay. I'm taking the CEO hat off. This is the mentor hat, right? I'm giving it to you straight, no chaser. This is what it is. Because I think the beauty of a mentor relationship is we can enter into this with common ground and an assumed uh, commitment that we are both in it for your best interest. And so yes. I don't have to do like the hamburger method when I'm your mentor, right? I'm not going to do like two good things well and then the critical feedback. Yes. No, that was trash. Right, we get past it. And so I do love when people seek that out, but I'm very honest around what that looks like because I don't like to play politics in true mentorship relationship, right? Mm-hmm. This is a commitment and a connection. And so we both need to be open to what that actually means. Yeah, which, yes. which I translate to, you know, I think what a lot of folks are looking for, they, they, they're looking for mentoring, but, and then in some cases they're conflating coaching with men, with mentoring. And those, those are not the same thing. Right. And, and you have to be extremely clear in that, you know, I, I totally agree with, with Will that um, mentor is a whole different, is a whole different level and, and, and requires 
um, a depth that I don't think is what a lot of folks are actually looking for. Um, yes. And get their feelings. Vulnerability, yeah. honesty, trust. Yeah. Yes. Like, if I'm being a mentor, I got to tell you the truth about yourself. Okay? Yes. <laughs> You're not going to run out here telling people I'm your mentor. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yes. don't, right. don't go tell nobody. Right. Please. Yes, because you'll get the call like, hey, Dr. Hey, so this, your mentee showed up just right. raggedy. What's up? You like, see? <laughs> no. I had one conversation in the office. I never. That is hilarious. Yes. So I would love to hear, right? So what I'm hoping for is this episode, right? That's going on right now. That when we drop this episode, the day of the convening, they are, uh, the thousands of black men, the hundreds of black men that are showing up are scanning the QR code and listening to y'all live and in charge. So I would love for you to tell the gentleman, like, what is the call to action for black men at the BMAC, right? We're going to get together, we're going to be together for about uh, two days when you put all the time together, like in fullness, right? We'll be together. We'll do all these great workshops. We will come together as men. But what is the call of action? What should they be getting while they're here? And what should they be taking back to their respective districts? I love it. I love it. And I'm going to start, I'm going to kick it off and say, I'm going to go pretty, I think, deep uh, up front. Um, and maybe maybe this is um, uh, a bit overbearing or a lot to ask. But I do, I want to say, and this is the agitator that, that Will knows, you know, our civil liberties are under attack. And our um, our they want to they want to take away our capacity to teach our children their history. And so um, I hope that some element of this gathering will charge us to uh, recognize the urgency of this moment that, you know, and and I that's a that's a high level uh, aspiration and, and a political aspiration. But I'm, I'm just going to go there and say you know, we we don't have the luxury of standing by as our civil liberties and um, you know uh, the the uh, the the disenfranchisement that's happening. Like this is a very real thing, and so I'm going to go ahead and just name that along with all of the all of the incredible things I know that brothers will and ancestors will take away from the time and bring back to their communities. But I wanted to name right off the bat that I do. I do have a hope and expectation that we recognize the hour that we're in, which is dire in, in many ways. Mm. Love that. Dr. Hayes. Um, I'm really in this space of just like black unification. Right. And so for me, I, I truly believe that our liberation is rooted in our ability to come back together mm. and to represent all of our various backgrounds and experiences and come together behind the advancement and the excellence of our communities and that we are actually the solutions that we are looking for, right? That, um, And so for me, it's about all these people from around the world coming uh, to connect with one another, to represent truly where you're from. Like I think about the ways in which uh, black male educator organizations have just like sprung up in a very real fraternal way. Right. So I think about like, I can visually see the group from Kansas, right? I, I know those guys, right. The group yeah. from Detroit, like I know those brothers, DC, the contingency, like I, I know the, the tribe you represent from that area. Right. And so we are coming together in this convening to, to empower, um, those leaders to go back into their communities to empower them. Right. And so I think 
we need to one norm around the agenda of unifying our people, right? That that we are the solutions uh, for our children and generations, right? And so that we are also going back to our individual places to raise up a generation that carry that will carry that on. And so for me, um, one of the beauties of attending an HBC when going back to homecoming is you only have to see your people. And so I do hope that people come to this convening to see your people, mm. like resist the urge to be upset about others, resist the urge to resent others and just appreciate your people in a way that draws us back to one another um, and pushes us to do the work of improving the outcomes from our people. Love that. Very powerful. So one question I always get, right? Um, and that's probably because of the proximity of, of Sharif and the work that I do is how can we support black men? So if I'm not a black man, <laughs> how can I support a black man? So I just would love for each of you to take a second to answer that question so they can hear it straight from a black man. Mm. So folks listening to this, women, white men, whoever, how can we support black men? We need to be listened to. We, we need to be listened to. Um, and recognize uh, that we have dreams and aspirations uh, that uh, are are frequently stymied in in, in spaces, uh, and that um, there uh, there's a way to support that does not include wrestling control of our destiny and and our ability to to define our experience for ourselves. And so mm-hmm. um yeah, I think I mean it's 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 a little cliche but the simply listening and and understanding too that that we understand our place in this movement to be powerful, we own that and there's a level of vulnerability that's important for us as well. Um, you know, amongst ourselves. Oh, Shane, you ask all the good questions that just like, seem, to, seem to trigger me a bit. Uh, so, <laughs> so this question of support, right? And I, I want to like intentionally remove Black women from this conversation of what it looks like to better support me, right? Mm-hmm. I think before I can talk to groups about supporting me, I need to talk to you about eliminating your active harm to me. Right. Mm. So, so focus on not doing active harm. Right. Focus on not trying to go above my head when I'm in a leadership position. Focus on not trying to control the way in which I show up when I don't fit um, the mold that you want to see. Focus on not trying to undermine my intelligence, my intellect. Remove all the ways in which you actively do harm to black men. Mm. We can get you off of that. Then we can talk about what it looks like to support black men, right? Because I find it very difficult to navigate a conversation in which you say you want to support me, but yet active harm still exists. Mm. Um, and so to uh, Winston's point around what once you've done that work, what it looks like to support black men looks like listening and seeking understanding, right? And so if I am in fact speaking a language that you do not understand, it is your job to learn that language. Right. Mm. I'm in fact talking about ideas that you can't yet envision. Ask more clarifying questions. Don't just walk away and decide it's not worth investing in. And so removing the harm, listening and seeking understanding um, 
when at first you don't understand. That's actually all I want. I love that. And for the folks out there listening, um, seek understanding and clarity on what is harmful to Black men, right? <laughs> like, I don't have another half an hour on this podcast, but some of the w- things we'll name, some of you are like, I didn't know that was harmful. Seek understanding to what is harmful to Black men so you can actively not do harm. Phenomenal point. Fellas, before we get out of here, because this episode is dedicated to the Black men, generally I do something at the end called, you know, just thank a Black teacher. I want y'all to take the time to thank some Black male educators, okay? We just going to dedicate this time to the brothers. So I would love each of you to take the time to thank some Black male educators. Mm. Um, Yes, who is up first? I'll jump in and, and say um, my dear my dear friend um, Courtney um, Courtney Gray, uh, health educator and capoeirista up in the Boston area, who is just an exceptional teacher um, and has been teaching successive generations of young people to uh, to be in their bodies and understand their power um, and to understand the concept of uh, freedom, freedom fighting and liberation from that particular uh, culture. I want to shout out Russell Holmes, um, uh, a, a wonderful colleague of mine from my last, uh, the last elementary school that I worked at, who uh, really um, just embodied all of these principles of um, uh, um, the mentor that we've been talking about for successive generations of young people. Um, I already mentioned my my dear colleague, my dear uh, heroes. Uh, so, but I can't again. In, in the last year, Bob Moses passed a, a year ago, and also Donald Burroughs passed on uh, a year ago. And so, I'm very much thinking of them as well. Uh, I will continue. I'll shout out my uh, college professor and mentor, uh, David Wall Rice, who does a great deal of work on identity development of Black men. Um, he was a mentor that was probably the toughest mentor I've ever had. And our relationship didn't start because he was so kind and so nice. It started because he challenged me. Uh, and so I, I appreciate that. Um, shout out definitely to my squad that embraced me when I got to uh, to Boston and all the wonderful leaders there. Uh, getting into leadership, I think about Corey McCarthy, who was a coach and friend. Uh, Winston, of course. Cito Narcisse, who, mm-hmm. when I decided to be a principal, was the first person I called to talk through that. I think about the, the group that embraced me when I got to Philadelphia. Um, Joe Ferguson, Charles Adams, um, Aaron Bass, Sharif el all that squad that just is just like, hey, you got to do it. Figure it out. We don't care how you feel about it. Get it done. <laughs> um, I think that's why I'm a matter of fact mentor now. Like All of my mentors have just been like, listen, this is what it is. Get the over it and get it done. Um, and I also want to just shout out uh, my team at Boys Latin. I think mm. the the group that we are building there of Black male educators who are not just one of two or three, but belong to a group of 28 Black male teachers, right? Not just deans and leaders, but teachers. Uh, and specifically want to shout out Troy Hester, who is our middle school uh, history teacher, um, he was someone who went, he's an alum of Boys Latin. He went through a residency program that was created to increase the number of black male teachers. And he got into it and he said, I think I just want to be a dean. Like, I, I want to be a dean because I like uh, working with uh, young people and having these conversations and mentorship. And I 
I said in true mentor fashion, the lineage of Sharif, I don't care what you want to be. You're going to be a teacher next year. Um, this is your class assignment, so get the over it. Uh, you can you can be a dean at lunch, You can, but you're going to teach this class. And so he came back uh, this year after the first support period, uh, and he said, I get it. I get why you wanted me to be a teacher, and I enjoy it, um, and I love it. Um, and I'm getting better at it. And he, he is getting better at it. And so just thinking about full circle journey of someone telling me, no, you're just going to teach this next year. Um, mm-hmm. And then finding that passion. Uh, so shout him out as well. Yes. And I cannot leave here without shouting out the black male educator of my heart, my husband, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Ronald Brown, who is in his 20th year of teaching of uh, physical education. So shout out to him as we celebrate these black men today. So, gentlemen, as we are closing out, is there any final thing you want to say to our guests out there? Welcome. Uh, by na- by this point, you will, you know, we'll be together. And uh, I know it's going to be all of this and more. But I think the, I'm so excited for what the surprises will be. There's going to be so many surprises. And I, I would be remiss. I'm going to throw in. I know I have lost my opportunity, but my big uncle Horace Small is going to show up at this event. And, uh, and so I'm going to sneak that in. Horace, longtime activist and um, mentee of Harry Belafonte, who, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is bringing that energy into the space. And, and, and so I'm excited for that. But brothers, welcome. Uh, we are so, so glad that you made a point to be here with us. Um, I will just say, as someone who's been here since the beginning, uh, the convening has always been about community and family. And so even in listening to this you should feel that you are back home amongst family. Uh, family always speaks to one another. Yes. Uh, whether that's a cousin you've never seen before, you have access to go ask a question in <laughs> conversation. Uh, family always connects and figures out ways to connect once we leave here, whether you mean it or not. Uh, family figures out who lives close, who's doing similar work, compare notes, compare information. Uh, and family listens to the elders in the community. So do that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, thank both of you for coming on. I'm super excited to be in fellowship with you all at the convening. Like I just cannot wait. And for my listeners out there, so of course this episode drops. But after this, we will have a series of tapings that are coming. It won't be live per se. It'll be pre-recorded, but I'll be coming straight from the convening with different interviews, different panels, different takes. So please be on the lookout for those episodes after this one. So Building the Black Educator Pipeline is a show hosted by the Center for Black Educator Development that is in partnership with Brightbeam. So subscribe, listen, tell a friend to tell a friend, and then tell them again, y'all. So we'll see you here next time, live and in color. Peace, everybody. Peace. Thank you, Shayna. Thank you.